Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, men. Good morning, ladies. At this time, I'd like to ask Pastor Steve and Beth to come up to the stage. She's looking at me like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? So Pastor Steve and Beth, our pastors, are here right now, and uh, he's going to be ministering in a moment, and I'm going to be turning the service over to him in in, in just a second. Uh, They... They keep our heads in the game. They keep us steady. He has a calming influence on my life. <laughs> good. That's good. It's, I probably need him to sit in the back seat when I drive more. <laughs> Especially after the U.S. yesterday. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, they're here this weekend ministering to our team. And, uh, but for whatever reason, we scheduled them to come in on their anniversary, which is tomorrow. 47 years. Yep. Yeah. 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 up, Norm. Now, I'm just going to have everyone so you can see it, and then Norm will take it back, and we'll make sure we get over to your hotel after. But we wanted to wish you a very happy. Aww. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. You guys can go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, nope, stay up, Pastor Steve. Well, I'm just helping. <laughs> oh, you're helping your wife, Don. Yeah, I'm just helping. <laughs> uh, thank you. So, Windsor Christian Fellowship, uh, today's service, Pastor Steve Lane. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to come and see everyone again, and uh, the opportunity and privilege to, to minister as well. Always a joy to be here and to see some uh, familiar and friendly faces. We have been uh, kind of back and forth. We just came from Calgary last week and did a quick trip over into BC and back. And so we're kind of mixed up on time zones, but we had a great sleep last night. So that's a good news. Um, The uh, passage of scripture that was read this morning is our main uh, passage. But before we get there, I want to give a little bit of introduction because we are going to talk about loving like Jesus because that's what that example is about in John chapter 13. But before we get there, we have to understand a little bit more. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of context for what does that actually mean. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, um, Jesus' first message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, sometimes there's a lot of, the word repent has gotten a bad name, bad rap over the years, but literally it means change your thinking. Change your thinking. It's not not like, it's like change your thinking. You have to change your thinking, and we all have to change our thinking, and it doesn't stop when you get born again. It's a continual, ongoing process because we are continually, ongoingly being pressed from every side with weird 
thinking and philosophies. And so continually he's saying, change your mind, change your thinking. So in, in Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to put my phone there so that it will help remind me of the time. And it's at the back too, so that's a good sign. My first trip to Israel, uh, that was my favorite, favorite spot. Was, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, we didn't have, it was, get this, it was a group of pastors, but we didn't have time for a church service really. Um, but a few of us <laughs> were stragglers on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee because we were having a moment with Jesus. And so we just, we'll be there in a moment. Um, it was that moment. That was my favorite spot to think of Jesus there with crowds, thousands of people. And he begins to pour out these blessed are the poor, spirit and ongoing. The Beatitudes are radical. This is how he starts his ministry, ministry with, with pretty radical thoughts and thinking. Um, Jesus comes to fulfill the law. Uh, he was giving his spirit, not just the letter of the law. He was the word made flesh. And... Uh, you know, in chapter five, six times he says, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you. If you read that through, uh, you've heard it said, you've been taught before, but I say to you. So the, the law is not erased. The law just looks different. If you understand the law of God comes out of the heart of God. So some people have a hard time with the law, quote, 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 unquote. But uh, it's because they don't understand it came out of the heart of God. It just looks different. It's not different. In fact, one of the apostles says that, uh, that love is the royal law. If you can fulfill the law of love, then you've kept all the law. So the law does not get erased. It gets fulfilled in Jesus. You have to keep this in mind. Uh, the Father knows what we have need of in, in, in Matthew 6, he says, but we're still supposed to ask him for things. He knows what we have need of. He knows, he says, before we even ask, God already knows. God knows. Uh, in the last uh, year and a half, probably that's one of my favorite two sayings are, God knows, only God knows actually those three. And uh, there's a lot of things that we think we know. Somebody thinks they know, that we suppose we guess, we have an opinion about, we have a preference about, but there's a whole lot that only God knows. Now, as you get older, some of you relate to this, as you get older, you actually know more in your life than you've ever known before, correct? However, do you have more questions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, and particularly if you understand more and more of an infinite God, you realize that the more you know God, the more there is to know about God and there's a whole lot more that you don't know about God than what you do know about God. And so God, only God knows a whole lot of things. But he knows you. He knows what you have need of. And that's good news. In chapter 7, uh, he was talking about judging and uh, how they should, shouldn't judge. Uh, then he, after he told them that they didn't have to worry about it, that God already knew what they needed of, in chapter 7 he said, but go ahead and ask him. And we got the asking, seeking, knocking. Uh, and then he talks about the narrow way and the broad way. 
not, not Broadway like New York. This is like the broad, wide way that, that is easy to get into because it's the normal way and everybody does that. But the narrow way, you have to look for the narrow way. That's what he's talking about. Then he talks about false prophets and he talks about people who come to him and say, yeah, but we did this, 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 and this uh, in your name. And, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. In other words, you did it out of your own self-will, you didn't ask me. That you, you did good things, but for your purpose, not my purpose. Uh, imagine hearing this, if you could, for the very first time. Now, if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, you just heard a few of those little snippets for the very first time, and they sound like, really? If you've not been very long born again, it maybe still sounds strange, but trust me, if you've been born again a long time, they still seem very strange and radical because the teaching of Jesus is very radical. If we're going to love like Jesus, before we can love like Jesus, we have to learn how to act like Jesus, and you can never act like Jesus unless you learn to think like Jesus. So that's the goal. Back in the garden, it was all about hearing the voice of God and then doing it. And we said, no, we're going to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. The tree of life you can eat from today. As you get born again, you now can eat from the tree of life, which means hear the voice of God and do what he says. But it continually requires us to put aside what we already know to what he is saying. This is our context. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31, when he's asked by one of the scribes, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, he, he says, is, is linked to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Exodus chapter 20 gives to us the Ten Commandments. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going real quickly to kind of give you context. The last... Uh, the last six are, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, donkey, etc., etc., etc. So, know this. But in Exodus 21, verses 23 to 25, there's this thing called the law of retaliation. An eye for an eye. You ever read that? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The intention of that was to limit revenge revenge and protect the offender from punishment that was greater than the offense warranted in other words i'll get you back i don't know if you ever heard anybody say that to you maybe you said that to someone i'm gonna get them i'll get them back and, and many times you know we want to hit harder than we were hit that's called revenge hmm well, leviticus 19 the Lord says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Old Testament. They heard, this is what they heard. Love your neighbor, those who are like you, fellow descendants of Abraham. It's about revenge, retaliation versus loving your neighbor. New Testament is exactly the same. We are warned, don't take revenge, leave it with God. Let God avenge. Let, why? Because only God knows what's really going on in somebody. Sometimes they don't know themselves. 
Many times, I don't know. Don't tell me what's going on, what I'm thinking. I don't know what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. Beth would say, you know, da, 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 and I'm going, and somehow I interpret that like she's telling me what I'm thinking, and I don't know what I'm thinking. This is what how it gets on with, with husbands and wives and friends and leaders, and because we assume. If I'm thinking that, you must be thinking that. That's where accusation comes from. Did you know that accusation comes out of your own heart? A thief thinks everybody's a thief. An adulterer thinks everybody's an adulterer. If you would do it, everybody else would do it. Eh, that's not true. Accusation always comes out of our own heart. So that's why we're warned, don't accuse. Don't go for revenge. Don't retaliate. The golden rule says this. It's not actually in the Bible, the golden rule, but... The, the, the scripture is, we call it the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. No, law and the prophets. That's what they had. Uh, Luke 6, 31. And just as you want men to do to you, do also to them likewise. Some people interpret that. If that's how they treat me, then I'm gonna, then that's how they want to be treated. No, 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 you flip the table here. You're supposed to treat people not how they treat you, but how you'd like them to treat you. (sighs) Anybody say, well, that's impossible. (laughs) That's the point. Uh, You can't do it in your own strength. That's the point. We need God every day to live like this. Are you kidding me? Jesus defines two key things. Who is my neighbor and how do we love? Who is my neighbor is addressed, and we're not going there because it's a whole message in itself, but it's in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, one of the guys, because Jesus is answering every question they have, throwing it back in their face, and they're getting kind of confused. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself. And he's thinking, what? People like me. People I get along with. People I do life with. People that are seed of Abraham, like us. And Jesus proceeds to tell them about the priest and the Levite who came by. This guy had gotten beaten up. And if you've been to Israel, some of you have been to Israel, and it's pretty barren and uh, not a great place to be after dark. And this guy gets beat up and robbed. And the priest comes by and he sees him, but you know he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. And so he goes on the other side and and the Levite goes by, and he goes by on the other side because he doesn't want to get involved. You know, he's got to get, got to, get to the temple. Um, and the unexpected Samaritan. This goes back a long way, their feelings against the Samaritans. You know, it was all about two temples. And they had their own over here, and they didn't go to Jerusalem. And over years... Hatfields and McCoys. But Jesus made the Samaritan the hero. He's the guy who bandaged the guy up, healed him up, put him on his own donkey, took him to the inn, paid the bill, paid the bill in advance. And if there's anything more next time I come back into town, I will pay that too. Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. Can you imagine? How would that, I mean, we know the story. We see the scriptures. We have, we're blessed. We have all of the scripture here. But they're hearing some of this stuff first time and their minds are going crazy. 
He's the one that went over to take care. See, neighbor love has no ethnic limits. It's evidence of God's love. That's the point. So he says, which one was neighbor? And, he, and they answered, well, the one who showed mercy. And then he just says, yeah, you go do the same thing. <laughs> wow. Okay. So how do we love like Jesus? Now we're over in John 13. Now we're there. But you have context a little bit. Now this is near the end of Jesus' ministry. He's with his disciples, the intimate setting. They come into this room. And uh, first of all, there's the definition of a love and then there's a demonstration of his love. Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world. This is verse one to the father and being, and having loved his own who were in the world, get this, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He didn't love them partway or to some extent. He didn't love them until he didn't, he didn't love them until the power shift happened. He didn't love them until the money ran out. He didn't love them until it, was, was it wasn't convenient anymore or that it wasn't fun. He loved them to the end. In Proverbs 19.4, it says, wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. In other words, if you can't help me, you won't see me. Verse two, Jesus still loved the one who betrayed him. This is the thing, because only God knows, and Jesus is also God, and he knows. He knew what people were thinking. He knew what they were reasoning. He knew that, Jesus, that Judas was the one that was going to betray him. And still, he loved him to the end. The rich young ruler, when he came up and said, what do I got to do? And he'd done the law and Jesus said, oh, you sell what you have and give it to the poor. Because Jesus was not telling everybody to do that. In fact, you don't find him telling anybody else to sell and give away everything they have. But that had his heart and Jesus knew it. And one of the disciples, one of the gospels records this. Jesus watched him walk away. Okay, what's so big about that? Get this. Perfect love watched the man walk away. Jesus meant only good for him because the kingdom would have been opened up to him. And do you think for a moment if he gave it all that he'd be poor the rest of his life? I don't think so. Jesus is not trying to take anything from him or from you or from I. He's trying to give to us. But the kingdom of God operates very different than many of us have been taught. And Jesus' examples, his speaking is, is still very radical. Jesus loved Peter. You know, the one that kept putting his foot in his mouth. He was prone to action. Let's get her done. I had a friend when he got saved, he was a, he was an ex-policeman. He was a tough guy. And when he got saved, like his, his motto before he got saved was, pitter patter, let's get at her. You know, and that was his motto, you know, his life. Like, you know, but you, but when you come into the kingdom and get saved and God begins to work on us, prone to action is not an issue because on the day of Pentecost and the power of spirits on 
Peter, he stands up and he's turned into a different man because that's what the Spirit of God is supposed to do when he gets control of us. And he will when he gets control of us. And there's Thomas, and sometimes people are really hard on Thomas, doubting Thomas. No, Thomas is the one that says, okay, guys, let's go to Jerusalem with us, and if we die with him, we die. People say, oh, I've heard people say, well, I'm so negative. Negative? Are you kidding me? They didn't understand everything. They didn't get everything he said to them, but they were prepared to die with him. These are just imperfect men and women that follow Jesus, and that's all he has to work with. So we're all in the crowd together. We all got our stuff. So that's not an issue. But still, Jesus loved them to the end. John 13, 34, gonna jump ahead for just a moment. We'll come back to that later. But it says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, for, for us, for Beth and I, we planned our church years ago. That was a big one for us because I felt like that was an evangelistic statement. Um, that you, you can't convince everybody. You can't debate everybody. You can't argue everybody. You can't, you know. The only thing really that's gonna convince the world is if we relate different. And we can't relate different consistently because some people aren't nicer than others without the power of God. Like we need God to do work in us so he can do work through us. So this love is not selfish or conditional. It's loving the undeserved. Jesus knew that people needed love. And he could love everyone. He loved everyone, but... The only ones who received it were the ones that could receive the change. And then Jesus says stuff like, you know, it's easy to love people who love you. Yeah, it's easy. And then he says, so, so love your enemy. <laughs> love, love the one that doesn't love you. Because love, like forgiveness, is not optional if you want to have life. Forgiveness, people get stuck on that. Uh, but forgiveness is really not about the other person. It's about getting yourself out of jail because they don't know there is an issue. It's about you and God and the freedom to walk free regardless of the offense. And that's not easy. I got offended one time, more than one time. <laughs> Lots of times. But the big one kind of set the course, set the precedent was before I ever pastored, I was a worship leader. Friend was driving me home. I was so livid what took place with this other guy. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, if you don't get a handle on this, it's gonna delay what I have for you forever. And the forever had like an echo on it. Forever, forever, forever. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I just shut my mouth. Wisdom hit. I just shut my mouth. And later on, I'm going like, well, I can't forgive him. God, I know what the word said, but I can't. You're going to have to help me. And it was like, there's this assurance. God did not say, I can do that. I knew he would, but I, I knew I needed his help. I did restore a relationship better than ever. But the most important thing was, is it taught me that forgiveness, no matter what people do, it's not an option. It's not an option for me. 
We got to reach to people outside of our group or the normal people we talk to on a Sunday morning. You got to look for people that stand alone. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not condoning this, but we we had an usher actually. Uh, he, he had lost his wife to cancer, and and so he knew it was like to come to church alone with four kids. And so as an usher, he always looked for for people that came alone and. Um, men or women, but in one case, it was a woman, and she's now his wife. Uh, so you just, it's, it really, it's really good just to stretch out beyond yourself. I'm just, I'm just saying that that was not his intention, nor should it, be, should it be yours. I'm on record. Please keep the tape. It's not how you supposed to, it's just reach out beyond. You never know what God has. It could be a connection. It could be a relative you don't even know. Had that happened before? But you just have to say, I cannot love them, Lord, but you do. I want your love to flow through me. So here we have to have a revelation of God's love. Now, you're going to give me a short, a, a short clip from a longer story. When I was 15, um, I was shoplifting. Uh, long story, I grew up, I'm a church kid. I uh, hung with some people, um, not a good influence, my choice, um, Watching TV one night, my parents were out, Billy Graham's on. The only thing that was on is back in the day, we had like four channels with the little antenna and Billy Graham was on all four channels. <laughs> so I don't remember what he preached on, but conviction hit me. I left a note for my dad, come talk to me when you get home tonight. I'm in bed, I didn't sleep. My dad came home, he came up, I confessed. I broke his heart, I saw it in his eyes. He taught me better than that. And he did, it wasn't on him. That was best day of my life because my dad taught me the love of God by demonstration. We went around every place I had stolen stuff, gave it back and paid for it. I paid my back. I worked all that summer to pay my dad back. Uh, he knew, it was a smaller town. He knew, he knew everybody we went to see pretty much. And we started at the chief of police and he was on my paper route. And he said, well, it's a good thing you confessed to your dad before you you know, got caught, or you'd have a record. So I don't have a record. But the best day was the fact that my dad never made me perform for love after that. That's why it's my best day. So because of that, I have a very good view of God, the Father, and his love for me. And that has rooted and become my foundation so that I've gone through all kinds of, ah, but the love of God has held me fast. I have not doubted the love of God, period, because of that. Fast forward about eight years ago, talked to my mom, and I said, hey, mom, I shared that story. Really, it was the first time I shared any part of that story before. And she started smiling. She kind of laughed a little bit. She said, oh, I remember your dad coming back to bed that night. Listen to this. And he said that was the worst day of his life. I don't doubt it. And then it hit me. My father on the worst day of his life, gave me the best day of my life because of how he responded and with God's love. And then I realized that God the Father gave us our best day on the cross when it was his worst day. That's just the context for that's the definition of his love that's unconditional. But in verses three to five, 
he gives this demonstration of his love, this foot washing. At the door of every house, there was a basin. It was the job of the lowest slave in the house, the lowest person in the house. It was their job to wash the feet of everybody because, you know, you're wearing sandals and dusty roads and they're not paved and they're not nice. And, and so their feet are filthy. They're taken, I mean, these poor feet, they're stuck in shoes and they, and they smell. But can you imagine when they look like when you're out in the summer and you're in your sandals and, and they get dirt all over them and nobody washed their feet when they came in? There's no other example anywhere of a superior washing the feet of the inferiors. There's no slave to do it. So who's going to do it? Is everybody looking at each other like, hey, Peter, you want to do it? John, James. These guys have been disputing just earlier about who's the greatest. (laughs) Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Hey, you know. So they still got selfish hearts, these disciples. They still got selfish hearts. Nobody wants to wash another guy's feet. So this is the first thing. There's three things. And the first is, Jesus shows them how to place others before his own rights and needs. Jesus, the one who had all authority in heaven and earth and the one who could have demanded that they wash. Come on, guys, wash my feet. But he did it. He just took a towel, began to wash their feet. They were shocked. Can you imagine? They were shocked. Until Peter spoke. Shocked in silence. Everybody's just watching. Like, what's going on here? Humility requires that we get our eyes off of our own needs and out of our own head and think about other people. And Jesus is expressing this. Luke in chapter 17, 10 says this. So likewise, you, when you are commanded to do something, he gave an example of a servant sent out to the field. He says, just say when you're done, we are unprofitable servants. We've just done what was our duty to do. You know, if we can work at this, it would change our homes, our workplaces, and our church. You know, God, this God who doesn't need anything, so we serve God, but really we're serving God by serving people, his people. And that's not just his people like us. It's his people. Because John 3.16, we know it. We can quote it. God loves the... Nobody's born again at that point in time. Didn't have a good day or a bad day. They didn't blow it on a Saturday night, so they didn't want to go to church on Sunday because now they didn't deserve it. We never deserved it. That's the point. No one deserves it. No one's good enough. I was in church my whole life. That didn't make me a Christian. I had to choose. I had to make a choice. I had to accept the invitation. To love like Jesus is to look for the needs of others and to meet them. Secondly, he he shows and demonstrates that no task is beneath us for Christ's sake. The the focus is um, on menial tasks that no one else wants to do. He elevates them and says they're they're a big deal because our God who sees in secret rewards openly. Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) 
at home. Nobody appreciates me about here. Uh, maybe. Ah, yeah, I've been working at a church this time. I did this, that, no, no, nobody cares. Maybe. But at work, I just, just like sit there and I do the same thing every day and nobody cares. Well, there's one that cares. His name is Jesus. Somebody asked me just last week, they said, so what did you learn? Because, you know, we transitioned about three and a half years ago from leading the church. And they said, what have you learned? I said, well, the biggest thing is it started out, we did an obedience for Jesus. And, I, and, it, and it better still be about Jesus. You, you, may, you may do things for people, but really you're doing it for Jesus. And if you're just doing it for people, then when they give you your food back and say, I don't want your hot dog. Or they don't appreciate something you mean as an act of love. We take it personal, but we're just doing it for Jesus. And Jesus had people that would receive him and people that would reject him. And the only people he could help were the ones that would receive him. We just keep our heart good. Colossians 3, 17, Paul put it this way. Whatever you do in word or deed, and do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father, through him. And it's God who sees everything that we do so that it can be for Jesus. And yeah, there's things I've done that nobody knows, but Jesus knows. And that's gotta be enough that he knows. To love like Jesus is to be willing to do small things as well as the big things. Well, I thought they were gonna ask me to fill in the blank. They just asked me to Third, he teaches us to abandon false pretense. It's easy to serve for a fake reason, a false reason, uh, uh, out of pride. That's what pretense means. Peter, what did he do? He said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Peter's embarrassed. And not a small amount of pride. To have his... Rabbi, his teacher, wash his feet? Often pride is silent behind the scenes. You know, people may doubt our motives, but God knows our motives. After the the Last Supper, you know, and Judas leaves, Judas is not the only one that Jesus is a little concerned about. He's concerned about all of them because they've all demonstrated pride sometime or other. True of all of them. There's there's, this fake pride. There's like, there's this pride that goes, I'm the best. And then there's the pride that goes, I'm nothing. Both pride. Grace Grace is this wonderful thing that takes those people who think they're everything and people who think they're nothing and levels the playing field. That's grace. We are no more, no less than who God sees you to be. And he loves you, considers you valuable, precious, as he does all of humanity. Think of the joy that it gives him when we enter into the place that he's prepared for us and we receive the invitation and we begin to come into relationship with him. It's recorded that Jesus said in Luke 22, 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, uh, Satan has asked for you to sift you, but I prayed for you. 
Simon speaks. But he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. That's the pride of his heart disguised itself. Was it his intention? Oh, I think he had good intention. He just didn't know himself enough. Sometimes we don't know ourselves enough until pressure comes on us, and then we find out what's really going on and what we really believe. I heard lots of people preach the scripture, but not believe it. How do you say that? Well, because of how we respond under pride. There's lots of scriptures that I've known for years and years and years, but I had to relearn under pressure and realize, dig deeper, go deeper into Jesus, deeper into the word, deeper into the walk of the spirit, and admit that I don't know what I thought I knew. Others say, what do you think about this? I go, I don't know if it was right or wrong. I don't know anymore. Don't really care anymore. I just know going forward, I don't know anything. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? (laughs) This is what the Bible says. This is what I think the Holy Spirit's saying. I'm going to try to do this best I can because if I get into my own reasoning, I'll miss it for sure. One of the most destructive sins is this pride. It blinds us and hides itself from us. Maybe we have to ask sometimes, okay, dear, uh, how am I doing? A trusted friend who, first of all, loves God and secondly, loves you. That'll lower the playing field, narrow it considerably. But pride keeps us from seeking, seeking the help that we need. It pushes us away from accountability. To love like Jesus is to do all things for others from a motive of love. And that means for their benefit, not for ours. It's not to make ourselves feel better. It's not because it makes us good. I want to give because it makes me feel good. Yeah, it will make you feel good, but that's not the best motive. It's to do it for them. And Jesus asked them this question in verse 12. Do you know what I've done? What's the right answer here? I have no clue. <laughs> no, we don't understand. Tell us, Jesus. So he goes on because he knows they don't get it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, that I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. The servant is not greater than his master, nor is he sent greater than he who sent him. If you know, understand, perceive these things, blessed, happy, and favored are you if you do them, if you faithfully do them. This word example literally means to exhibit in order to imitate. Now, was he saying every time they walked into a house, they should grab the towel and wash somebody else's feet? Not wrong, but that's not what he was saying. It's not about washing feet. Well, in this sense, we need to realize this, that we're all of humanity and we all have dirty feet. And we need Jesus to wash them. All right? So if you remember that you, have, you are human, all right, give yourself a little space and he had dirty feet and you need Jesus to wash them, he will, but so do other people have dirty feet. It's not the physical washing, it's the realizing that we all need Jesus and that, what? Needs of others around us, we can meet them. That was the first thing. Second thing is be willing to do small things as well as the big things. And the third thing is that we do all things for others from a motive of love. And it's impossible 
in our own strength. Like I said, you know, there's some people that are nicer. Most people really love, love my wife. They really like her. She, she's just very sweet, very friendly, very hospitable. More people have had issues with me. I'm a little more, I'm a little bit more, um, carry some authority that's not real popular a lot of times. Not my own choosing. But I think the more God gives to you to carry, the more we have to rely upon him to carry it. And abide in his presence so his presence abides in us. We remember, your feet are dirty, my feet are dirty. Only Jesus really can wash them, but we are to wash and carry with his love one another's. Father, we realize that what you teach us, how you teach us to walk and live is so radically different than what many of us have been taught in our life. And you don't want us to rely on our own strength and power. I pray today, Father, that we will rely on you and allow you to love on us so that we can allow your love to flow through us to others in our world today. And we're grateful that you never leave us, never forsake us, that you continue to love us and will love us to the end. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Please stand with me at this time. So as we come to the table today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, let's look within. Let's ask ourselves this one question. Lord, today am I loving like you love? Am I acting like Jesus acted? And am I thinking like Jesus thought? You can answer yes all the time. You're welcome to come up here and take my place. <laughs> Fathers, we have the bread in our hands. Jesus sacrificially laid his life down. And Lord, you gave everything for us so that we could have a more excellent way. Help us in our hearts today to release others. Help us to lay down our pride, our self-will, our selfish ambition, our idolatry, and our love for things of this world. Whether items, activities, people, money. Take the throne of our heart today, Father. And we look to Jesus, the one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. So, Father, as we partake of the bread, I thank you that in your brokenness you made a way for us to be whole, restored to wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. In Jesus' name. And, Lord, with the cup, the blood of the new covenant, Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood for us. Without it, we'd be in a lot of trouble. 
But Lord, just as Jesus came to serve humanity, help us, your followers, to serve others, to serve humanity, even when it's hard, even when our pride doesn't want to, even when we don't know how to do it. Father, show us the way today. Teach us to love like you love. Father, I thank you for each person here today that knows you. That you're working in our hearts to draw us into your presence, into your heart. So lead us to truth in the name of Jesus. So as Paul and Michelle are coming, I just want to remind you all, you have an opportunity to sow into the ministry of Pastor Stephen Beth today. There's a guest speaker tab on the app. You can grab an envelope and deposit it in the box. Just make sure you label it guest speaker. If you're watching us online, feel free to donate to guest speaker offering and sow into their ministry today. Uh, please remember also, Abba, next week, you have lots of chance to sow seed this week. Hi, guys. Thank you, Pastor Steve. I know we both enjoyed that. That was an excellent teaching. Excellent teaching. Uh, we're going to be sharing from the scripture, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. It's very basic. It's very simplified. So just hear what it says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Walk in love because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And in 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love him because he first loved us. And, and you know, loving like Jesus, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Um, we were away on holiday for two weeks and visited some of my family and we we, we saw Jesus' love in action as uh, my cousin Brad. He's uh, 63, and um, he was looking after my Aunt Sue, who's 91. She's, she's dying. And um, just to see him um, so deliberately, gently, and tenderly loving his mom, feeding her, walking her from room to room, the look in their eyes because they looked at each other and just it was so deep it was so beyond what you normally see but you couldn't mistake it for the love of Jesus He's, it was just all over the room a real sacrifice a real example of serving and it's it's that way that you know God wants us to love every day everybody that we see our kids our spouses strangers on the street, people we work with. I don't want to call it a challenge, but it's something we should all sign up for, to love like Jesus and just, you know, Pastor Steve said, if you don't know him, you can't love like him. You're only going to know him by reading his word, by praying and talking to him and practicing it. It won't just come out and be perfect. 
we have to take that challenge and we have to do that. WCF, you have been equipped. Now go. Amen. Thank you.